It's Monday morning. Good Monday to you. And thanks for hanging out with us here on Real Talk. Jesperson in the house with Samuel Brooks. Sarah Hoyles, the producer of this show, working from home. We're all hanging out in different ways like everybody else is doing these days as we all continue to just keep a stiff upper lip and just keep on keeping on, right? This episode of Real Talk, this January 17th episode is presented by the team at Bitcoin Well. You know, you can always find them online or in person. We told you last week they've just opened up their new Calgary office. Congratulations to the team at Bitcoin. Well, it's good news for Calgarians interested in faster, safer ways to buy Bitcoin. It's non-custodial when you buy with Bitcoin Well, which means they send you your purchased Bitcoin directly to you. Most online exchanges don't do this. If that's news to you, you can find out the implications by getting in touch with them. You'll find Bitcoin Well right at the top of the page under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll be joined by physicians, uh, Dr. Shazma Mathani and Dr. Nija Bakshi. Uh, it's been a while since either of them have been on. Of course, they're on the front lines, um, as are thousands of other medical professionals across the country and obviously around the world. Nurses, doctors, specialists, administrators, paramedics, the whole kid caboodle. I mean, everybody that comes together to keep this system functioning. And it, it seems in some contexts, the more that things change the more that they stay the same conversations that we've been having about COVID-19 and about waves of COVID-19 and about variants are all too familiar but each variant has its own unique concerns or unique things that we need to be aware of plus uh, when it comes to conversations around the current one or at least the most predominant one right now Omicron we're hearing one word used quite frequently you probably know what I'm about to say if you had to guess would you guess Mild. Mild is the word that a lot of people are using, and I know that it's rubbing some people the wrong way. They're concerned it's sending the wrong message. I'm interested to see what our physicians will take on with that. Plus, they want to reference a conversation that we had last week with an ER doc. You may have remembered we started or at least touched on the opioid crisis and the impact that the healthcare system is seeing with regards to an increased number of opioid related deaths, drug poisonings across Canada. Tragic stuff. And the physicians I know are going to want to get into that, Doctors Bakshi and Mathani. Later on in the show, do you feel pressure to be positive? Do you feel pressure to be positive all the time, even if that's the last thing you're feeling? Whitney Goodman is the author of Toxic Positivity. I've never heard the phrase before. I'm automatically intrigued, and I'm looking forward to checking in with the author and psychotherapist. Uh, Whitney will be joining me in about half an hour's time, maybe 40 minutes or so from now. Should be a good one. Plus, Positive Reflections presented by Kubi Energy coming up. And of course, that's going to be a great way to start the week, as it is every week, courtesy of our friends at Kubi Energy. Sarah Hoyles has been keeping an eye on the stories that are making news today. Hoyles, I think later on in the show, you and I can talk about the Australian Open because it'll nicely tee up our question of the Week. We're asking people about hey, athletes. Okay? We're asking athletes about their heroes these days. Uh, but uh, you're hey, keeping hey, an eye on uh, Sam. I'm hearing the doctors uh, on air. I think, and we're hoping to get. Is it possible to get Sarah in or no? It is. We're, we're we're figuring things out here, friends. What we're doing here, of course, is we've got our producers working from home. Sam and I are back in studio together for the first time in a while. Um, you know that our team has been making necessary adjustments due to COVID nineteen cases for the past number of weeks, uh, as we know so many of you 
are and uh, just making things work. And I'm proud of our team for doing it. Uh, Hoyles is working from home this morning. It's nice to see your face, my friend. I hope you had a great weekend. Was it just sort of one of those lay low and try to get some relaxing moments in kind of weekends? Yeah, and get outside while the weather was not frigid cold. Yeah, it was no amazing, right? Storms. So, yeah, we headed out to Athabasca and tried out the cross-country ski trails, which allow dogs out there. So it was me and the two dog pals. You've, the been, you've, been, uh, you've been taking these like cross-country ski lessons and everything through the course of this winter. Is this your first season cross-country skiing? <laughs> no, I've been doing it for probably about five years, but oh, not yeah. doing it well. So I thought it was probably about time that I actually learned. I had to unlearn a lot of bad habits. <laughs> it's way harder than I thought. Hmm. I'll be honest. Like, I, like I, first of all, I've only gone cross country skiing one time, and, <laughs> and I am so bad at it. Like, so bad. And I consider myself to be kind of an athletic person. I've spent the be- better part of my life on boards, not always on skis, sometimes on a snowboard. But I figured, how hard can cross country skiing be? It turns out it's really hard. Well, you can stand up and just, you know, do a nice little shuffle. Yeah, sure. But if you're wanting to like do it, like do it, do it. it yeah, you got to bend. There's all kinds of like ditch your arms in a certain way, get your body up. But yeah, it's. How do the dogs I'm like it? I'm constantly thinking, oh, they love it. Except for Ranger sometimes decides that the skis are delicious uh, and he needs to eat them. Yeah, fair enough. He's Not en- ideal. enthusiastic to be there along <laughs> for the ride. Um, yeah. You were out, Sammy, you were out in the in the mountains this weekend, too. Did you, did you get you guys got out skiing? I got out skiing. I was up at uh, Sunshine, uh, staying in Canmore for a bit, and just uh, had an absolute blast. Felt good to be back. Um, haven't have not been on a ski hill for two years now, and it was uh, great to shred some pow. Yeah, shred some pow. And you were, wasn't this? This was like an official trip. This, this was this was uh, this was my bachelor party. This was your bachelor party. <laughs> Hoyles, are we even allowed to ask Sam any questions about it? I don't know. I, I think it might be a real bit. talk. You got to be able to ask. I agree, actually, Sarah. Thank you for the reminder. Sam, let's dish the real talk on the stag. How was it? It was a great time. Uh, you know, out with uh, just a couple of my best friends. Uh, it was low key. I mean, as far as you know, it wasn't these like off the charts wild stuff that you'd hear about. It was uh, it was uh-huh. a day of skiing and then some drinks and uh, and 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 just kind of hanging on can where we spent we spent a bunch of time literally playing our guitars in a hotel room, which sounds weird, but uh, that's what we're into. It doesn't sound weird, Sam. It just sounds like a lie. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> We'll believe you. We'll believe you. Well, congratulations. Obviously, it's an exciting time for you and Kelly. She was I saw that Kelly was posting. uh, Are we allowed to talk about what she and her friends did? They went dog sledding. That looks so cool. It was so cool. So cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I I was uh, I was talking to uh, Carrie. Am I about to spoil? I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this. Let me just leave it more general. I was talking to Carrie, uh, Sarah, over the weekend. And and, um, this came up. It had nothing to do with Kelly, Sam. It had nothing to do with your family. But but Carrie was we were talking about options. Options for getting out in the winter months and we're going to be heading back out to Jasper looking forward to doing it in a few weeks and and uh, she was like we've never gone dog sledding and she was like what about dog sledding I was like let's do it and then she was like yeah but she goes but is it like is it cool I go what do you mean is it you know like it's super cool ask anybody that's ever gone she goes no I mean like just with regards to and then she says the thing that both of us oftentimes have to ask to each other which is that are we basically going to get in shit for it from the public like are, are we going to catch flack for going dog sledding is it controversial 
is dog sledding controversial? Basically, do the dogs want to do it? And I'd be curious. You're obviously a real dog lover. And uh, but my my thought to carry my gut instinct right away was like, I, I, I said, I think you're cool. I think that I think dog sledding still cool. I think if you're taking the family to SeaWorld and posting about the whales, you might catch some flack. I think if you're depending on where you are in the world, I think elephant sanctuaries get a pass every once in a while. But if you're in Thailand with a friend and you're riding elephants, you may catch some flack for that. Who knows? Uh, But I think dog sledding, I think you're still in the clear because I'm pretty sure the dogs absolutely love it. And she's going, I don't know. Uh, What's your take on that? I think I think it's okay. Um, I think it's about like, how are the dogs treated? But really, it's like they get to go on a run with all their pals. Right. Heck yeah. Right. And so, Sam, I bring and we're dragging Kelly into this conversation, like it or not. She was posting the photos. The photos looked incredible. And I said to Carrie, and here was my final argument. I said, if Sam's Kelly, if, if Kelly goes dog sledding, I think we're cool with it. Because I think, if, I think if, if I know her, I can't say I know her too well, but if I know her, I know that she's pretty in tune with these kinds of things. And if she's going, I think we're cool to go. From what I hear, the dogs are unbelievably enthusiastic about this. They like this are, is their they are, This is their jam. This yes. is their thing. Well, that's so cool. And uh, obviously, and, and smart of you two to run your, your bachelor party and your staget on concurrent weekends. Yeah. And so you don't have the one at home, like wanting to text and be like, how's it going so far? And you're like, oh, come on, come on. I'm unavailable right now. Uh, we'll get to the physicians in just a quick second. Uh, Sarah, we're obviously keeping an eye on stories as they develop, not just here in our neck of the woods, not just in our home province or in Western Canada. Uh, but across the country and around the world and obviously a big story out of Texas. And this is one that we'll follow and touch on um, over the course of the week. But this hostage taking at a Texas synagogue, obviously, um, for a lot of Americans, I think it was important to see the FBI characterize this as a an investigation on terrorist activity. Uh, when the word is invoked, obviously, I think it changes the stakes. Obviously, it changed how people perceive what went on. But what's the up to the minute update on this? So, yeah, four people were taken hostage, including a rabbi. They have all gotten out safely. That was on Saturday that this all went down. And uh, it was a 10-hour standoff. Most recently, uh, the gunman, the person that was doing the siege, uh, was killed when the FBI went in. Now they've got two teens in Britain, actually, because that's actually where this gunman was from originally. He showed up about two weeks prior to this event. And... Yeah, there are two teens that have been arrested in England as part of the investigation. So we're just waiting to hear about more information about how these two are linked. Okay, and that's a story that obviously we'll be keeping an eye on for a while. There's a lot of uh, CNN reporting this morning as well. Investigators are are talking about, um, you know, these potential ties to uh, an individual. I mean, this uh, 44-year-old British national you talked about that entered this synagogue. There's a lot of talk about some ties uh, to people, including um, an individual that's uh, serving an 86 year prison sentence in the United States. So uh, uh, these investigations take time, of course, um, but it's going to be interesting to see the, the spread or uh, the, the coverage um, sort of when you talk about the impact of an incident like this. We're already looking at international ties. It's a big story for obvious reasons. Uh, people of, of the Jewish faith around the world, um, I know, are going to have uh, very specific 
observations to make about this. And this is a conversation that you and I will be having and hosting and producing uh, over the next number of days. Uh, in just a second, we want to update where COVID numbers are at, the impact that this Omicron variant is having on hospitals. And we're also going to talk about the opioid crisis. Uh, this is these there, there have sort of been parallel. Do I call them pandemics? Certainly parallel health crises over the past couple of years in Canada and around the world, in particular, for whatever reason, in B.C., Alberta and Ontario. That's where opioid deaths are the highest. And we're going to talk to physicians uh, in just a second, Dr. Nija Bakshi and Dr. Shazma Mathani. Let me remind you that our friends at Friesen Brothers every first of the month. So the first of February is your next chance to get in on the 15 percent off all groceries over seventy five dollars at Friesen Brothers. It's a family tradition for us to be there on the first of the month. You want to circle circle your calendar. That's coming up in just a couple of weeks. Of course, right now, this month's Mike's Meals selection is the alberta pierogi pizza it is as good as it sounds i can tell you firsthand i've tried it topped with the thinly sliced alberta potatoes they're just baked to perfection cheddar cheese bacon bits and a and a and a, and a nice subtle kick of cayenne pepper it's perfect for busy family weeknights as well as weekends you can find out more on their website at freezen.com slash pierogi dash pizza now, I should probably clarify, there are several ways to spell pierogi. They're spelling it P-I-E-R-O-G-I. Perhaps we could run a Real Talk unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll on the proper spelling of pierogi. That might be a good one. Our friends at Eden Landscaping, they want to hammer this message home this time of year. This is the perfect time to get in touch with the custom landscape builder that's got more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. Why? Well, most particularly because some of the construction materials you may need to bring your outdoor space to life may take uh, several weeks or even months to get here. And Mike and his team want to make sure that they're on it so your dream can be reality by the time that summer hits. You can find them online, check out their portfolio, and make contact at Eden Landscaping online under the Sponsors tab on our website or, of course, at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, these two physicians have joined us in past on the show. We've been grateful for their insight, their analysis, quite frankly, their expertise uh, through the course of this pandemic. Both of them working out of the Royal Alexandra Hospital in our hometown of Edmonton, Alberta. Dr. Shazma Mathani also works out of the Stollery Children's Hospital, a professor at the University of Alberta's Department of Emergency Medicine. She's joined by Dr. Nisha Bakshi, an internal medicine physician, as mentioned at the Royal Alex. To both of you, a good morning. Thanks for making time for us. Uh, Dr. Mathani, you and I were sort of corresponding uh, late last week following a conversation that we had here on the show regarding the Omicron, Omicron variant and, and the impact it's having on hospitals. But I mean, let's get right to it with some plain language. What are you seeing every single day? I am seeing um, a healthcare system that's more overwhelmed than we've seen it before, to be honest. I know we say that every time, but we're in a situation now where um, from the emergency department standpoint, we're seeing wait times um, longer than we've seen in the last um, five to 10 years even. Um, and a lot of that has to do with how hard Nija and her colleagues are working upstairs, uh, managing patients with COVID and patients without COVID. So, um, you know, you talked at the beginning about how you hate to use the word mild. I also hate that word. Uh, when we refer to Omicron, I, I like to say less severe perhaps might be a better way of putting it. But the problem is because uh, it's so rampant, we're so seeing so many cases, it's still having a, a significant impact on the healthcare system right now. 
Dr. Bakshi, does that echo uh, what you're seeing? I mean, with regards to updating us on uh, what you're seeing literally on the ground, on the front line, people want a real and accurate analysis. And when, when we hear about a strained or exhausted healthcare system, how is that translating with what you do on a daily basis? Um, I think right now I'm seeing the worst that we've been in two years. Um, this last 48 hours in particular, and it'd be really it's going to be interesting to see what we hear today, if there is a press or if there's any updates from the government. Uh, but the last 48 hours, particularly in Edmonton, um, are probably the worst that any physician has experienced this entire pandemic and probably even longer than that. Um, we saw a significant increases in admissions in general, but as well as COVID admissions. And when we talk about COVID admissions, I know there's a lot of talk about incidental COVID or people coming in with other illnesses and having COVID uh, by chance. And that does happen. I don't want to uh, negate that piece. But what we have seen, particularly this last seven days and, and really in the last two days, is the same thing that we saw with Delta, the same thing that we saw with Alpha, is sick patients with COVID coming into hospital, needing care, and we are overwhelmed. We are at a point uh, where our internal medicine service that we're currently at the Alex, we're at about 135% capacity, which means that we are seeing patients uh, above and beyond our bed base, which means we're going into other units, we're running out of units, we're having patients in eMERGE, we're having patients in hallways. Um, this is the worst that I've seen it. I'm, I'm frankly quite scared as to how we're going to manage the next couple of weeks. Uh, from a physician workforce, I have no physicians left to help us. We have no more bodies to take care of patients. And so what that means is that the individual physician is now going to take care of up to twice as many patients as they normally do. And I think we can all agree that's not that's not safe. So it's going to burn out your physicians and it's also going to impact. Uh, I, I don't want to say it's going to impact the quality of care because I know that everybody's going to give it everything they can. But obviously, I mean, if, if I apply it to education, if you have a teacher with 60 students in the class as opposed to 30, the students aren't getting the attention that they probably deserve. Let me ask a layperson's question. Um, help us understand why this is happening. Uh, you're saying the strain is the worst that you've seen it. Both doctors, you're both using that type of language in two years. Yet we're supposed to understand that this is kind of the more chill variant. I know that people I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to be able to find a word that people are going to be happy with. So, you know, we'll just go with chill or mild for all intents and purposes. And we hear the anecdotally all around us, people saying we got it. And it was like a cold for a few days. I'm tired, but I'm on the road to recovery. Yet at the same time, you're saying hospitals are more slammed now than ever before. How, how did I'm having a hard time reconciling? what's going on so, i think from the um, oh go ahead sorry, sorry thanks Asia. um one i mean one of the big things is honestly just the numbers the sheer numbers right it's simple math so if we look at delta um you know there are no more i think in one day than close to 2,000 cases a day we're in a situation where we're seeing likely over 10,000 cases a day and even though it's less severe the simple math of you know um, people getting admitted to hospital with uh, with severe disease is going to the numbers are going to be higher, right? Simply because the cases are higher. Um, you know, Dr. Bakshi can talk about just the number of people who we're, we're still seeing who are unvaccinated who are having severe disease, right? So there still is a proportion of the population that is unvaccinated um, who are coming in very sick. And then the other interesting thing that we're seeing with this wave of the pandemic um, compared to previous waves is that we're not seeing other patients. Uh, not coming into hospital anymore. So interestingly, with previous waves, as the COVID cases went up, the rest of the people would stay home um, and unfortunately typically get sicker. But then as the cases uh, went down and that lull between waves is when we'd see all those other patients start coming into hospital. We unfortunately have not seen that this time. We're seeing both COVID patients and everybody else all coming in at the same time 
And those two waves together are really overwhelming the healthcare system too. We're hearing uh, a lot of people and, and <laughs> this, this is fresh in my mind right now because I, I tweeted over the weekend about some remarkable data that shows that uh, of the age groups, 40 plus, 50 plus, all the way to 80 plus people that have received their boosters that are essentially triple vaxxed. Um, when it comes to the implications on hospitalizations, et cetera, they are dramatic, especially for the 70 plus 80 plus crew. Uh, of course, I'm hit back anytime you're going to tweet, especially if you have a blue check mark, anything about vaccines or covid or hospitalizations, you're going to hear from the peanut gallery. And boy, did I ever uh, my mute button was getting worn out on Saturday and Sunday. But I can tell you, there are a lot of people that believe that the hospitalization numbers for covid are so high because it's people being admitted for unrelated reasons reasons uh, that are then testing positive for COVID in the hospital. And these folks are suggesting that essentially the numbers are, well, they're being inflated. Uh, Dr. Bakshi, maybe you go first on this one. I'd love both your observations. Yeah, and I think that's an argument that we're seeing across the, the country. And I would say that, yes, that does happen. We do have people that come in for heart attacks or for uh, an infection of their foot and they happen to have COVID. And does that get counted in the COVID numbers? Of course. However, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. That's still a patient that needs care. That's still a patient that is utilizing a bed. And that's a patient that needs a COVID isolation bed because we're still trying our damnedest to not spread COVID throughout the hospital. It's getting increasingly harder to do that with the volume that we have and the old infrastructures that we have in our hospital system. But whether they're coming in with COVID as their primary illness or testing positive and having other things, it uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Our volume is so high that we are overwhelming the sheer number of spaces that we have. And then the other th piece of that, I wanna talk about the unvaccinated piece, we are still seeing a significant number of patients that are coming in who are unvaccinated. And for them, it actually doesn't matter if it's Omicron or Delta or original variant, they're all presenting the same way, incredibly ill, going from emergency to the war, to the ICU in under 24 hours, not having great outcomes. And so what we do know is that vaccines still work great. And yes, people who are vaccinated are getting Omicron, but they're not having the same outcomes as those who are unvaccinated. And at the end of the day, it is the volume. And I think the other piece that we also need to talk about is how many healthcare workers are getting sick. So now you're having a period where we've got a significant increase in volume of overall admissions, whether it's COVID or not, and you've got a significant reduction in staff. It's a perfect storm for things to go wrong. Uh, Dr. Mathani, let me ask you about this. Uh, I had a, a real talk about the name of Tracy. She fires back at me on Twitter and she says, but hang on. She says, look at these numbers, though. My unvaccinated Facebook friends uh, are posting numbers like this to prove their points. And I'm going crazy over this. Uh, she says, you know, they've they've had it. They felt a cold. They survived. So they believe that that everybody needs to stop wearing masks and stop pushing the vaccine because the vaccinated are the problem. And Tracy shares a screen grab here. This is from the Alberta government's website. We fact checked it. It is accurate. Uh, it was accurate, at least as of this weekend. Don't look at the numbers exactly. Uh, but of the active cases and people currently hospitalized, when it comes to those that are vaccinated versus unvaccinated, the numbers might suggest that there are more people taking up hospital beds uh, that are vaccinated uh, than you might expect. And people are saying, well, hang on a second. I thought that this was supposed to be effective. I thought these vaccines were supposed to work. What's the deal? Shazma, how should we be processing these numbers? Yeah, so it's really important to, to tease out the fact that absolute numbers versus a proportion of people um, in each group, right? And so if we look at the number of uh, Albertans who are double vaccinated who are over the age of 12, it's like 3.2 million people, right? So 300 and some people 
out of 3.2, that's that's a tiny, tiny percent versus uh, unvaccinated is closer to 500,000 people. So it's like the same number of people in hospital, but much uh, from a much different proportion of people, right? And so because most of the population is vaccinated, of course, we're going to see some end up in hospital. But if you look at the denominator, so to speak, the number or the, the pool that they're drawing from, much a much bigger proportion of unvaccinated are ending up in hospital compared to the proportion of vaccinated people who are ending up in hospital. And if you look at ICUs, that number is even more dramatic. So really, really rare to see someone who's two to three doses of vaccine ending up in ICU compared to a much, much larger proportion of the unvaccinated population ending up in ICU as well. Mm. Uh, in our conversation with uh, Dr. Eddie Lang, uh, he had talked about the opioid crisis, and I know that that um, the numbers are, are disproportionately high. Uh, Sam, maybe we can share that graphic. I know that this is something that I think my I don't know if it's going to surprise people. Uh, it may, depending on the level to which you've been paying attention to it. But when it comes to opioid deaths uh, in Canada, I mean, these numbers are off the charts and it's really fascinating. I can't think of a better. I mean, fascinating feels like such a stupid word to use, but it's interesting that 90 percent of all opioid toxicity deaths in Canada have occurred from January to March of 2021 have occurred in Alberta, B.C. or Ontario. Um, for whatever reason, the opioid crisis is hitting those three provinces the hardest, statistically speaking. There was an assertion from Dr. Lang last week that it had something to do with isolation, that it may have had something to do uh, with some of the mental health strains that come alongside the pandemic. And I wanted to give both of you an opportunity to touch on that and to provide greater insights about things like safe supply and what you think good leadership looks like in the midst of this opioid crisis. Uh, Dr. Mathani, you want to go first? You bet. Thanks, Ryan. Um, so, you know, there's really, um, it's really uh, seems like an easy answer to say that the pandemic has and, and lockdowns and restrictions have caused uh, a rise in opioid deaths, but that's, the evidence just simply doesn't show that. So uh, we know that there's good evidence to show that it's actually a, a toxic drug supply that has really driven up opioid deaths. Um, there's no, again, no evidence to show that uh, the pandemic and increased restrictions has increased opioid use um, and increased intentional overdose, overdoses. Sorry. What we are seeing, though, is a disproportionate number of deaths due to opioid use of accidental poisonings due to opioid use. And a lot of that uh, traces back to two things, one being an unsafe supply. So we're seeing that um, most, most in BC, Alberta and Ontario. Um, and also due to uh, lack of access to harm reduction services and barriers to harm reduction services, right? So um, as safe consumption or supervised consumption sites um, are harder to access, as they're being consolidated uh, away from uh, parts of the city where uh, they need it the most, we're seeing a dramatic effect on, on um, uh, overdoses and on deaths related to those overdoses. People, I think, need to be paying attention to what the numbers are showing us year over year as well. And, it, and quite frankly, it's tragic. Let's take a look at these statistics. Uh, I, I mean, this paints as clear of a picture as anybody needs, uh, I think, to get a real sense of how this opioid crisis is impacting Canadians. These are people that are dying. Uh, these are uh, Statistics Canada numbers that show the crude rates per 100,000 population of total apparent opioid toxicity deaths in Canada have steadily been on the rise year over year, 2016, all the way up a slight blip in 2019. But they continue to rise with really no indication that this trend is going to change in a life-saving direction. So, Dr. Bakshi, what do Canadians need to do? What do policymakers need to consider? I mean, the, like the, these aren't numbers, these statistics, these are human beings that are dying. And for the most part, I think you can make the assertion that a lot of lawmakers, a lot of elected officials, quite frankly, don't appear to either care or be paying attention. 
Yeah. And I would agree. And I think everything that Dr. Matani said, I think we are looking at a supply problem and an access problem. Working at the Royal Alex, this is our bread and butter. This is what we see every day. And we are so grateful to have such a fantastic addictions team at our site, but they are struggling and they are stretched based on the number of patients that are presenting, that are trying to seek help, that need the help, that are going through withdrawals. And part of the problem is that they don't, these patients don't have anywhere to go. And I think we can very, very clearly put that timeline back to this covered current government and this current administration as to what resources have been taken away, not only from the individual patient, but from organizations and groups that are trying to create harm reduction as the priority, because we know harm reduction works. We don't need a new study to show that. We've seen studies over decades that show that harm reduction works from a mortality perspective, from a ability to help patients uh, stay sober. We know that it works. Um, and so taking away resources, it's not surprising that we're seeing what we're seeing. We heard last week that the number of uh, patients uh, represented or presenting, I should say, in ERs uh, that that the general public might be surprised at how many of them are, are so-called mental health patients. And I, I wanted to get an assessment from the two of you based on your personal experience and what you're seeing about the the accuracy of that. And and if it is an accurate statement, how people need to process it. Obviously, it's undeniable. There are mental health impacts of this pandemic. That is undeniable. Oh, I, I can speak for the three of us, I think, safely to suggest that we've all felt our own stresses over the past couple of years. Who hasn't? But what's the actual truth of what you're seeing in the ER, Shazma? So absolutely, yes, undeniable, right? The, the, this two years of the pandemic has had a dramatic impact on, um, on, on men the mental health of everybody, right? And whether you have a mental health diagnosis or not, it's had an effect on you. And we are, of course, seeing an increase in presentations uh, in our emergency departments um, with um, pe people deteriorating with their mental health conditions. Uh, the problem is it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, right? So we need to we need to fix what's happening. We need to we need to fix the COVID numbers and and be able to um, stop doing this yo-yoing, stop overwhelming our healthcare system, so that everybody can kind of get back to as normal of a life as possible. Um, so yes, it has a dramatic impact, but we are uh, truthfully seeing a lot more um, kind of internal medicine and and uh, inpatients who need to be hospitalized for their for their kind of uh, medical conditions like heart failure, uh, diabetes, all these sorts of things that Dr. Bakshi sees, and COVID, of course. Um, and because that is currently overwhelming the healthcare system, we don't have the resources that we need to, to support our patients who require mental health resources too, right? And so we, we need to kind of attack this in a, in a two-pronged approach, and really one, one helps to kind of um, improve access to the other. Dr. Bakshi, how do you fix it? What, what's what's the fix? Is it just, I mean, more resources? Is that more money? Is that more hiring? I mean, you know, if you were able to wave a magic wand, what would you do? Oh, I would go back to 2019. <laughs> um, but I would say that, you know, I think I think one of the things that we really need, this is going to sound so, so basic. We need transparency from our leaders. Dr. Matani and I see this every day. I was working this past weekend on the COVID unit, so I could very, very clearly see what's happening. But I can't take a camera into the hospital. I can't show people what I'm seeing. And so number one, I think we have to be able to show the public, the general lay person, what is actually happening. And many people by this point in the pandemic do know what's happening because they've been directly affected. If you're a cancer patient, if you're a, a patient waiting surgery, you've felt some effect of the healthcare system, um, a strain on, on your own journey. But as a whole, it feels like I live in two different worlds. As a physician, as a healthcare worker, 
I see how horrible it is inside the hospital. But when I'm out and I'm going to an Oilers game or I'm going to a restaurant or I'm going somewhere else where it feels like it's an entirely different reality. And I think those two things have to come together, number one. And I don't think we're getting the transparency that we need because if we get transparency, I actually have trust in the Albertans and the, and the Alberta public to be able to make the right steps and do the right things to get us all to where we need to go. And then, yes, I think we need more support from the government, whether that's in more support for physician wellness, for getting physician recruitment, nursing recruitment. And I know that staffing shortages has been a, a big, big problem in this whole pandemic, and it's going to continue to be a problem. But I think we need to actually address and actually say what the problem is. And I find that we're, we're not hearing that. When you say you'd go back to 2019, I mean, my, my initial thought, what I'm sure you're alluding to is, is that would be pre-pandemic. Yeah. And if I'm missing something, let me know. But if you were to take the pandemic out of this, were you feeling supported? And I mean, obviously, there's always going to be. I mean, if you talk to any police chief or fire chief and you say, are, you know, do you have everything you need? They'll always find something they need. Um, obviously, everybody's got something on their wish list. But generally speaking, in your assessment, was the system well funded and well supported? In other words, is, is COVID-19 the only X factor or were there red flags waving even in 2019? That's a good point, Ryan. I think I think pan the pandemic has just exacerbated what was already there. So we were already overstretched. We were already, and you'll hear you'll hear people from uh, from AHS say that nursing shortages is not new, and that's true. It's not new. Physician shortages in rural communities is not new. It's gotten much worse in the last two years for a number of different factors. But now we're at a point where we're at complete collapse, and it makes you wonder what were we doing all those years ago? How come we weren't addressing those things at that point? And now we've, we're in a situation where it's so emergent that we don't have any good viable solutions. I think funding for mental health has always been a challenge and I don't think that's a new problem. I think access to timely care with specialists has been always a problem, not new. And so all of these factors are not new from 2019 till now, but they've just gotten so much more exacerbated. I think we have a really, really big opportunity to change this. And so that as we come out of the pandemic, how can we not go back to 2019 healthcare system? How can we actually move forward? I've uh, got uh, obviously millions of students are heading back to school today in Canada, Ontario, a big province setting. I mean, aside from weather related events, a lot of Ontario schools are closing right now. But this was the day that students are going back. It was a week ago today that students in B.C. and Alberta went back. Um, Shazma, you're, you're a physician, you're an ER doc and you're a mom. Um, how have you been processing that? Do you think it's a step in the right direction? There's so much at play here. I don't think I mean, I, I'll speak for myself. You can speak for you, uh, but I don't think that you can make a sweeping comment on the right or wrong decision when it comes to this every single family has its own realities that have to be reconciled when it comes to making those decisions and there's a lot of factors at play but how are you processing it um you know ryan you're absolutely right there is no right answer and every family has different circumstances i guess i'll say what i wish had happened um i think that extending the winter break was the right call um just to try to get schools as safe as possible my um uh, what I'm disappointed in is that things were the, the tools to make schools as safe as possible weren't actually ready last Monday. Right. And so we didn't have masks for teachers. We didn't have masks for um, for students. We didn't have air filtration uh, uh, units in, in the classrooms. We didn't have upgraded ventilation in the classrooms. We didn't have rapid tests available to give out on that Monday to students. Right. And so um, I, I think that school is the best place for kids to be, but it needs to they need to be safe. Right. We need to we need to be able to send our school, uh, kids back to school as parents and feel confident that they are going to be safe there. Um, and th that's kind of lagging right now, unfortunately. And um, it definitely makes me like we, we kept my daughter home last week. She's in kindergarten just for one week longer to kind of see 
how things panned out. And she just went back this morning. And I, I have to admit, I'm nervous about her going back. Um, we've kind of given her the best tool she can. We have her going in N95 masks, and she uh, is very diligent about hand hygiene and kind of knows to um, knows the rules, so to speak. But it's still uh, concerning and, and anxiety provoking to send her back, knowing that she could bring COVID back home. Yeah. Um, Dr. Bakshi, let me ask you this in closing. Uh, you know, you I know you to be a great communicator. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, if only people knew uh, what it's like in these covid words, if only people could understand, you know, you say you can't bring a camera in there for obvious reasons, but you can. I know tell stories and and I wonder if I could ask you to to put that hat on for a second and, and, and to take us into a covid ward and, and help us understand what you're seeing and who's in there and how many people are in there and how close are they and are they communicating with each other and if so what are they saying and and are are people copacetic or are people panicking or are like can can you just give us an idea for those of us that never step foot into that I mean you're there every single day or at least many days what are you seeing yeah, and I would say this is probably similar to many, many just medicine wards, but the COVID ward in particular, there's there even two years in, even though we know the mitigation strategies as healthcare providers to wearing N95s or wearing the proper PPE, there's still a level of anxiety when you walk onto that unit because no COVID patient is like any other, just like no other patient is like any other. And and when we go onto a COVID unit, you don't know what the day or what the hour or what the minute is going to bring. You don't know how many patients may need your attention right away. And what we're seeing in this last couple of weeks, and particularly this last weekend, is we're seeing less and less nursing staff availability because of staff shortages. And so now you're seeing on top of anxiety around the actual clinical illness of COVID, um, I'm seeing nurses crying. I am seeing myself crying at a desk, not knowing how am I going to get through this day? How am I going to even be able to connect the dots to provide safe and effective patient care when the system is so overwhelmed? You are seeing, uh, you're hearing monitors go off all the time. One of the things that we have on the COVID units that's been provided to us by Alberta Health Services is portable monitors so that we can hear what the oxygenation of patients are doing, what their heart rate is doing, what their blood pressure is doing. But that beeping can get very um, second nature. So it's sometimes hard to know who's actually crashing. Where are they crashing? Where am I hearing that sound from? So there's a lot of stimulation as well. And when we're in the heights of these waves and when we see this incredible exponential increase. When I talk about incredible exponential increase, I want to say like at the Royal Alex site last week, we maybe had 20 to 25 COVID patients on site. As of this weekend, we're almost at at hundred, if not over by today. And so that is a significant increase. And that, what does that mean? That means that patients are being shipped up to the units quickly from emergency rooms so that we can make space in emergency rooms. So now there's patients in the hallways, patients who need attending to. There are monitors going off. There are nurses running around trying to get therapies to the patients. I'm calling ICU for this patient because they're crashing now. So I'm calling our rapid response team. I have to call families to let them know because we still have guidelines around visitation policies depending on how sick the patient is. And so there's this, there's this chaos that is just constantly there. And as you can imagine, anybody living in chaos, that's exhausting and that's tiring. And, and at the end of the day, at the end of the ship, you can see people just slump down in their chairs, just trying to process, how do I drive home now? How do I go home from this? And we do, and we, we can shut it off and we, we go home to our families and we cook our dinners and we do our bedtime routines with our children. 
Um, but that repetitive nature for two years is frankly unsustainable. And that's where we are now. We're seeing the incredible amount of burnout. We're seeing staff coming in who are stressed and panicked and anxious and just not coping. Can I um, we promise people with the title of the show that we'll bring real talk every morning. And I'll tell you that that I uh, experience stress. I'm, I'm a highs and lows guy. I'm a, I'm a very emotional person. And and when I'm discouraged, I'm very discouraged. And when I'm excited, I'm very excited. But I can tell you that I'm so lucky to have a partner that I do uh, in carry because I bring home energy good and bad and that's something that i um have been working on for a long time is not bringing bad energy into the house and i don't experience a a, a tenth of what the two of you do and thousands of your colleagues and i'm talking about everybody from the paramedics to the triage nurses to this i'm talking about everybody um I can't even imagine. I'm trying to think. Oh, I we come home and we cook the dinner. I mean, I would be, I would be tense. Like I would be, I would be twisted up like a pretzel and like trying to do the bedtime routine with the kids. I'm just telling you. I'm trying to be honest right now. I would not be mentally present while I was reading the bedtime. It's making me almost cry. Like talking about this, I can't even imagine what medical professionals are are going through right now, and so many other people too with COVID. I don't know how you'd even be present for your family. I don't know how you would relax. I don't know how you would let alone fall asleep and get a decent rest and be ready to do it all over again, let alone doing that for two straight years. How do the two of you do it? Like, how do you how are your colleagues doing it? I mean, how how are you actually managing? We we hear these stories. Oh, and like the nurses are crying and everybody's everybody gets in their car and doesn't. And but like and then we just go about our day. But this this has been happening. I mean, people were banging pots and pans at seven o'clock every night in Vancouver and here. And do you remember that? And and then the next thing, the next news about health professionals was that there was protesting outside the hospitals and they were getting bullied. And I mean, I just the journey here. I can barely wrap my mind around it. How are the two of you managing it? Um, I'm not actually. If I'm if I'm being very real, um, you know we. I think there's an amount of resiliency that we all have as human beings that, you know, I know that I have to get my kids dressed to go to school. I know I have to do certain things. And there's, as I think as a parent, particularly, you just draw from somewhere. I don't know where that is. But if I didn't go to counseling, if I didn't take antidepressant medications, if I didn't have a support system in my husband who has dealt with, you talk about energy. I mean, my husband is probably one of the most positive people that I've ever met, but I'm not pleasant to come home to, right? I'm not, I'm not the same Nija that was here 2019. And I accept that. I accept that I have fundamentally probably changed because of this pandemic. And I do hope and know that there's a future where I can probably regain some of my identity. But I would say that for me, I'm not managing. And I know that a lot of my colleagues are not, you know, they will, they will put on a face, they'll do what they need to do. But um, I have had many, many conversations with people and we're just not doing well. Shazma? Yeah, I, I, would have to agree it's hard right it's hard to kind of um turn that switch off and come home and spend time with your family and like you said ryan tuck your kids in and read them a bedtime story it's uh it's i i'm not doing it as well anymore i certainly was able to maybe back in 2019 to be able to like effectively compartmentalize uh work and home it's it's not possible anymore because um this pandemic is spilling into every aspect of our lives especially uh the people um you know, on the front lines, but the people who are like speaking out and advocating uh, publicly, like this is stuff that we do in our spare time when we're not at work to try to kind of help raise public awareness um, on the pandemic and what the right thing to do is. And so it kind of spills into every aspect of our lives. 
Um, and it's been challenging. It's, it feels, you know, Nija and I actually were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago, how isolating it feels. Um, even for people who are not in healthcare, right? So people who can't truly understand what it's like to, to be inside a hospital or inside a clinic to see the things that we see every day, there's no way to describe that to people. And um, honestly, it kind of feels like a chore to try to describe it sometimes too. And so you just kind of um, feel isolated and feel, you just kind of put your head down and get through it and hope that on the other side of this, that things will get better. Yeah. I, I, I know I, I don't know exactly I've not walked miles in either of your shoes, but I do know what you're talking about when when you've experienced something in your life that that's a crisis or that's providing stress, even people asking with good intentions about it. Uh, I think sometimes you, you get so tired of talking about it that you start to just put up a, a bit of a wall. And how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Everything's fine because you don't want to open up that can again, because every time you do open up the can that takes a toll in itself. Right. I mean, it's just the way that it goes. Doctors, we've kept you past the time that we asked you for. And I know that your time is so precious. There's nothing more valuable, in fact, that anyone can share with us than their time. Uh, but with the two of you, a close second, maybe your expertise and your perspective. And we're grateful for it. That's uh, Dr. Shazamathani, uh, Dr. Nisha Bakshi, both of them out of the Royal Alexandra Hospital in Edmonton. Um, we appreciate this. Stay healthy. Thanks, Ryan. Take yeah. care. You can let us know what you think about what you've heard. If, you, if you're grateful that these doctors uh, have joined us, go ahead and smash that like button if you're tuning in live on YouTube or checking this out later. And of course, I know that there are a lot of people that are going to probably benefit from hearing that interview. We tried to, I mean, you know, we leave uh, talking points or certain questions on the table every time we do an interview because of the constraints of time. But we tried to get to as much as we could, including some of the things that were that were kind of stirred up by Dr. Eddie Lang last week on the show, an ER doctor out of Calgary talking about mental health inpatient supports or, or lack thereof and the, the impact of the opioid crisis and and whether or not Omicron is actually, quote unquote, mild. And we want to get as many voices, informed voices, expert voices on the show as possible so we can have uh, as good or as fulsome an understanding of the issues as possible. And I really appreciate these two doctors joining us this morning. I appreciate your comments. Tanya online. I, I just saw this one at random as I've been scrolling through our YouTube chat. Tanya says the degree to which the past two years have highlighted how easily society will ignore the vulnerable is something I'm not sure I'll get past ever. And that comment kind of jumped out at me because I don't know if I agree or not. Um, and, and maybe, you know, Tanya might say, well, yeah, this requires some some more nuance or maybe we need to talk this out because I think on one hand, I've seen exactly what she says uh, or what she alludes to people ignoring the vulnerable in the sense that, you know, more and more people are, are, are I think, taking a position now or maybe at least it's not more people. Maybe it's just people are getting a little bit louder, um, you know, suggesting that it's time like I'm over it. It's time to move on. Let's go. Let's open things up. I'm over it. Enough is enough. And uh, other folks, including medical professionals, will say, well, like the numbers are off the charts. Like, Sam, can, can, can we get a couple of these graphics up? I mean, look at these numbers of of active cases in the city of Calgary, just under twenty five thousand active covid cases right now. Twenty four thousand eight hundred eighty five as of yesterday. You know, that that's what is that approximately off the top of my head? One in th one in every thirty five 
people in Calgary right now ha- has an active COVID case approximately off the top of my head in Edmonton in our hometown it's over 18,000 active cases just 18,003 as of yesterday and these are the ones that are reported these are like PCR tests and, and keep in mind fewer and fewer people are qualifying for the PCR tests right now um, positive rapid tests are not reported and are not included in these numbers so Sam you uh, a couple of weeks ago my wife Carrie last week would not have been included in those numbers that's obviously extremely relevant and important to point out yeah i i mean i i've been sort of processing this with uh you know <clears throat> for the last couple of weeks and, and i think like dr Mathani sort of touched on this the whole concept of like you know it's out there it's very prevalent it's all over the place and and yes a lot of the cases are not super severe but like a small percentage of a big number is still a really big number right and that's the problem. Yeah. And and so it, it is having an impact. And so people say, well, it's time to move past. It's time to get over it. And other, other folks are saying, well, there are vulnerable members of society that will continue to be greatly impacted here. And so on Tanya's comment, I understand that. And then on the flip side, I've seen evidence that our fellow human beings uh, care a great degree about the vulnerable. And there are stories through this pandemic. I mean, you know, we're going to be seeing documentaries and 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 movies based on true stories and and fictional movies as well in years to come about the pandemic we will right we know that those are coming and we'll hear about these stories of of remarkable steps that people took to support their fellow human beings and to go above and beyond and and i know that those are the story i mean positive reflections that we have coming up in just a little bit on the show that's kind of the point we want to provide a platform or an avenue for those stories to be told the stories that people are barely going to hear about i mean i think about the you know the sick community that came to Together in British Columbia a few months ago when, when all hell was breaking loose and they were providing lunches for truckers. That's like one example off the top of my head. What about the people impacted by wildfire and everybody gathering together to get like diapers and water bottles and just the basics, the emergency stuff, toothbrushes and underwear together to send out to complete strangers like truckloads full of it. These are just off the top of my head examples of people that care a great deal, uh, people that have that have taken steps. I was watching across. <laughs> oh, my gosh, this makes me sound like the Manitoba politician. What I'm about. I'll still say it. Don't worry. I'll still say it. John Reyes, I think, was his name. The MLA out of, out of Manitoba talking about his wife shoveling the driveway. Here I go now. But I was going to say I was watching like a creep out of my window yesterday, my front window, watching one of my neighbors help my other neighbor. She's an elderly lady helping her chip the ice on her sidewalk. And I just thought it was just like it was just such a neighbor act it was just a great act seeing two neighbors come together and chat and it was just that that's that's a story that's not making headlines anywhere but it's people that are they're taking steps to help other folks i've mentioned before uh my my neighbor max owns a, a like a landscaping company and he does snow removal and i come home one day and he literally has his skid steer on my driveway scraping it wow. right down to the pavement i was just blown away Wow, he's he's trying out hard for a bottle of whiskey next Christmas. That's what he's <laughs> see the guy next to me, my next neighbor, Chad. What a beauty! He uses a snowblower all the time. He knows he's getting a good bottle of whiskey every single Christmas. That's the way it goes for us. Toxic positivity. What's that all about? We're going to find out in just a second. I'm really looking forward to this conversation uh, with the author of a book that I think a lot of us are going to be interested in checking out. If you feel pressure to be positive all the time, even though you're not feeling it, Whitney Goodman's going to have some great insights. That's coming up in just a second. This show doesn't happen without the support of amazing sponsors like Grand Dog Essentials, Quality Raw Food. You know, we feed our dogs the quality raw food at Grand Dog Essentials. You know that we've been telling you that, but we also use and our dogs benefit from their supplements. You can go to the shop now link at granddog.ca. Check out supplements 
And there is obviously many different circumstances that, you know, your your furry family member may benefit from these supplements. For Moses, for our nine-year-old boxer, it's the four-leaf rover, green eggs, joint and mobility support. And we've seen a dramatic improvement in Moses's movement and an obvious improvement in his level of comfort since we started using this supplement. The promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first-time order delivered to your door if you're in Calgary, Edmonton, or Central Alberta on a weekly basis via granddog.ca. Our friends at Park Power remind you, you know, they know they're not going to pretend like it's not going to be a tough year when it comes to your uh, utility bills. This winter will take its toll, including this past month. It's a great reminder that you've got options when you partner with Park Power. They've got their fixed or variable rates. You can choose which one works best for you. You compare your rates right now online. What are you currently paying for your electricity, natural gas, and internet? They're going to bet they can give you a better deal and they'll switch over all the paperwork for you so you don't have to deal with that hassle. You'll find them online at parkpower.ca. And a shout out to our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. I was telling you I've been benefiting from the body shop services out at Sherwood Dodge after getting rear-ended a short time ago and they've got me right now as my Grand Cherokee's getting fixed in a Ram 1500 Longhorn Edition. And so I sent a message to the team at Sherwood Dodge and I said, I'm, I'm actually not sure I'm going to be back to pick up my Jeep. I think I might just stay in this Ram 1500. When did pickup trucks start looking like Tesla's inside? This thing is beautiful. Keep an eye on my Instagram this week. I'm going to be posting about it. You can find the best selection in the province of Ram 1500s at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Well, do you feel pressure to present yourself as positive? all the time even if it's the last thing you're feeling do you feel like you're the type of person that feels pressure to just grin and bear it are you familiar with what toxic positivity entails our next guest is a psychotherapist behind the hugely popular instagram account sit with wit you've probably seen her she's the owner of the collaborative counseling center based out of miami florida and her new book is coming out next couple of weeks right at the end of january about our obsession with being positive called toxic positivity what a pleasure to welcome whitney goodman to the show whitney good morning to you and thanks for making time for us good morning thank you for having me i am among those people that before i saw your book had never heard the phrase toxic positivity but i almost felt like right away i could start to figure out what you're getting at what is it what do you mean So toxic positivity is the unrelenting pressure to be happy or be pursuing happiness, no matter what the circumstances. And it tells us that we should suppress or deny any emotion that shows up in ourselves or others that might be negative or not overly positive. So this isn't a new phenomenon, is it? Definitely not. I think it's something that has just kind of shape-shifted over time. We see it a lot in religion, wellness, culture. Um, it's really everywhere. Hmm. I was going to see. I was going to say, where do we see it most? And wellness culture is a fascinating one. We can dive into that. Religion as well, I suppose. Where you, you, you know, the the idea is that there 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 are outside or external sources uh, from which we can draw our strength or draw our encouragement. Right? Why does that serve to be a disservice uh, for the average human being? So it's absolutely a positive thing for us to be able to draw power or support from external sources. The problem is when we blame people for everything bad that's happened to them, we really boil it down to, well, if you thought more positive, you would be healthier or you would have more in your life. And this can be a really dangerous way of thinking, especially in in today's world. 
How do you know if this is something that's relevant to you? How do you recognize toxic positivity or pressure toward it in your own life? So we can use toxic positivity on ourselves or on other people. And when we're doing it to ourselves, it sounds a lot like I shouldn't be feeling this way. I need to be more positive or at least it's not X. I should just be grateful. Whenever we're using these types of statements, we're really dismissing what we're currently feeling in the moment and trying to just brush it under the rug. So I'm probably oversimplifying if I suggest that the only alternative to positivity is negativity, right? Like if you say to someone, beware of toxic positivity or these trends in your life, and they'll say, well, what am I supposed to just be negative all the time? What do you tell people? So that's exactly what I hear all the time. And that's not the other option, right? So the healthy positivity is what we want to be seeking out. And what that is, is we make room for the good, the bad, the neutral. We're able to radically accept this is where my life is at right now. You know, I'm living in a pandemic or whatever might be going on and say, here's what's hard. Here's what I have control over. And here's what I have to look forward to or where I can cultivate some optimism or hope. I was scrolling through your Instagram uh, and uh, you got about a half a million people following you on Instagram, which is just remarkable. Nice job with that uh, Instagram. People can find it at sit with wit. And I love this assertion that you made just a short time ago. You know, you say you can be an optimistic person and not use toxic positivity. So what's the secret? What's the key? The key is to hold space for what's currently happening for you or for someone else. So how can I be there with this? How can I sit with it, process through it? And then I can say, you know what, even though this is happening, things change, things will get better. And I've seen that happen in my life before. So what might I be looking forward to in the future, despite where I am right now? You've uh, I know that people have read your work. Uh, Obviously, you've got a column in psychology today, but I mean, you've contributed to The New York Times and Teen Vogue and in style and you've been on Good Morning America. I mean, you've had the ear of of millions of people. How have you uh, or what have you observed with regards to how people are wired and how people are managing stresses or negativity or positivity in their lives over the past couple of years? How has the landscape changed with regards to what you're observing and the advice that you're giving? I think people are really getting tired of being told to just look on the bright side Mm. when things are so terrible. I mean, we've lived through a really chaotic couple of years and that advice is no longer working. And so what I'm seeing people really want to do is just say, hey, this is difficult. Like, can we talk about it? Can we really accept what's going on right now? And people are becoming a lot more honest. We're having conversations about mental health that I did not see happening even three, four years ago online or in magazines, et cetera. I like, you know, even just using the phrase mental health. Uh, to me, I've noticed it becoming so much more common. People just it's just it's just part of the everyday vernacular. Someone will say, well, for my mental health, I do this or I've had to acknowledge this or address this for my own mental health. People didn't even talk like that. I don't think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, for sure. People weren't using that as a regular phrase. Not at all. I mean, I joined Instagram as a therapist in 2018 and people told me that was like the most insane, crazy idea ever. So I think even just over the last four years that I have people sharing my posts, talking about this stuff publicly on a social media platform is huge and very different. What was it? Why, why were people pushing back on Instagram? They just didn't think that there was an application for a psychotherapist to share 
you know, healthy principles? What, why were people confused about why you might be on there? There's obviously been huge demand for what you're putting out there. Yeah, I think it's that. And like that there was this feeling that nobody would publicly like or engage with that type of content. Ah. Like it was happening a lot more in the shadows or alone in a therapy office. It wasn't something you would say, hey, I resonate with this post on anxiety and share it with people who know you. I'm just I'm like obsessed with everything that you're putting out here, right? Like you, you've got so many great uh, points to consider and people should give you a follow if they don't already at sit with wit. You can check out sit with uh, But you talk, I mean, toxic positivity. Here are some examples. And everybody's heard this, right? It could be so much worse. It's all in your head. Everything's great. Think happier thoughts. You just need to be more positive. Uh, you know, you talk to anybody that's lived with depression and um, that's that's one of the, probably the first things that people will mention. The, the, the stuff that really, really gets under their skin is when somebody just suggests to them, well, just don't be depressed. Just think of something exactly. to focus on the positives. It's like, well, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, if it was that easy, I think we would all be doing it by now. Yeah. Are you confident that Generally speaking, society is having conversations that are moving in the right direction. Are you encouraged by people? I mean, you've obviously put a book out there and I know there's a lot of buzz around it already. Um, Are you encouraged by where things are going? I really am. I think sometimes things have to get bad for them to get better, unfortunately. Mm. And I feel like that's kind of the cultural reckoning that we're in right now around mental health is people are tired of feeling like this. Yeah, it's such a great point. If I can ask and when we get experts like you on the show, as we wrap our conversations, I was like to ask you to give us something to walk with or something to consider through the day. You know, a lot of people will listen to this podcast while they're out walking the dogs or they're on a road trip. And they're going to have time to spend some a few moments within their own thoughts. What's a challenge you'd issue to us in the audience? I want people to start thinking about the value of their negative thoughts and their complaints and what might that what need that might be pointing to in their daily life, what they can learn from those things. I love it. This is great. We appreciate your perspective on this. Congratulations on the book. Uh, People can learn more about it at sit with wit dot com. And you can find Whitney Goodman, as mentioned, on Instagram. We appreciate your perspective this morning, Whitney. Thanks for making time for us and have a great week. Thank you so much. You got it toxic positivity never even heard of it before and and it makes so much sense i suspect we're going to get a few emails about this one uh you can get in touch with us uh, to talk at ryanjesperson.com um and uh if that means that you know maybe you take a few minutes or maybe you take a few days to think on what you just heard uh, it's never too late to send us an email we'll oftentimes get feedback from people that are hearing conversations that we've had on the show months before saying i've just heard about this podcast or i've just heard about this show and somebody referred me to an episode on this and i wanted to share my thoughts and we sure appreciate that it gives us an opportunity to revisit past conversations we've had and also to gauge what's important to you to our audience Gemma chiming in with examples of toxic positivity that that they've heard everything happens for a reason right or look on the bright side or it could be worse or it is what it is You know, Gemma says, oh, thanks for the invalidation. Joanne says, you know, it's interesting. You know, people can be offended when you give feedback that's, you know, constructive criticism. People can be offended. Meantime, they'll be looking for, you know, business groups looking to improve business. Emotion needs to be removed from conversations like this. Hope says, I'm getting tired of seeing people just say, screw it. I'm going to live my life, travel and have fun. And then boo-hooing that they got COVID while on vacation. (laughs) Okay. Patrick, meantime, says, I'm seeing a lot more men acknowledge their feelings over the past few years. Me too, Patrick. 
for me, it's big steps that I've seen in, in certain workplaces. Like, especially, I know I talk a lot about first responders. That's just what's in my orbit. A lot of my friends are firefighters. It's just the way that it's worked out. And we've had some pretty incredible conversations for them. Um, and I'm not talking specifically about my individual friends right now, but as a culture, uh, typically first responders have not spoken about things that have provided stress for them or about things that they've encountered while serving, you know, in the line of duty, so to speak, on shift. Uh, but of course, the on shift stuff comes home with them. There, there's no off shift when it comes to the mental health impacts of that job or of those callings. And I've asked them, you know, and in, in, in our circumstances, in our city, and, and tragically, you could apply this observation to any city or to any community around the world. Deaths by suicide have been a, an unignorable reality, a tragic reality as part of the ultimate cost of some of that work. And it's prompted some some more healthy conversations around the table where, you know, a, a certain truck, you know, there's there's four firefighters on a truck, a certain truck will have a really tough call. And the chief will pull that truck out of service for, for a half hour, for an hour. So you can head back to the fire hall and debrief and talk about it. And, you know, I certainly have a naive or, or shallow understanding of what actually goes on. And that's kind of part of the point. Those are hallowed spaces. But I have been told by people that do those jobs that those conversations are happening more frequently. That's just one example. We got a letter, uh, you know, we actually received a number of different letters from people that have worked in child and family services over the past number of years. Some of the letters have been really encouraging. Some of the letters have, as a matter of fact, have, have been punches in the gut. And uh, that might be another example of, of where I think that more and more people talking about their experiences in the workplace uh, are, are per perhaps providing more healthy outcomes. Uh, Sarah Hoyles is, uh, of course, our editorial producer here, and she's the one that that booked uh, Whitney and uh, I, I, it was a great conversation. It's a, it's a great concept because I yeah. think pretty much anybody can relate to it because they'll see at least flex of it in their own life. Uh, what resonated with you with what you just heard from her? The, the shooting on ourselves, mm. you know, I, I should be feeling this way or I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should be doing better. The whole idea of, um, you know, manifesting and thinking positive uh, sometimes it's, I don't know, I find it very helpful to just sit with my feelings, especially the difficult ones, because I kind of feel like it's a common cold. Unless I feel it and let it move through me, uh, it's not going anywhere. So if I'm pretending that I'm positive, if I'm just, you know, trying to will myself out of it, it, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, that's such a great point. I saw on social media um, a friend of mine, a casual friend of mine who had lost a loved one recently, like within the past number of weeks. Uh, and they were wondering aloud, um, you know, how long essentially uh, am I allowed to grieve or feel this way? Like they were basically saying, um, and these are my words, this is my paraphrase, but I'm not okay. I'm not even close to okay. Uh, how long is it okay that I'm not okay? <laughs> And the responses were incredible uh, from people just and, and people pointing out and, and, you know, armchair psychotherapists. You know, I don't think you need to be a psychotherapist to offer empathy and compassion. Um, and a lot of people, unfortunately, offering their own personal circumstance of grieving through loss, but saying there's no timeline on it. 
Um, and, and you're at a stage when you're in the first few weeks or the first few months, or some people might even argue the first few years of a loss of great magnitude in your life. There's no single formula to follow uh, to be OK. Like, and, and that's where I think some of that toxicity comes into play is where your expectations are based on maybe what other people might think about your personal recovery from something. Yeah. And the idea that, you know, just get over it and we want to present as always being, you know, optimistic and positive and friendly and upbeat. And that's just, I don't think realistic, mm. you know, life is full of ups and downs and, and, you know, ignoring or negating the fact that there, there are challenging times um, is a disservice. And I think it just makes it for me, it prolongs it. <laughs> yeah. So I know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like you, you tap on something important where it's just like sometimes you've just got to feel what you're feeling. You've got to be there in that moment and experience it as opposed to trying to address it. I feel like Sam's going to give himself a concussion. You're nodding. So you're, you're like, I know that this is resonating with you. I can I, tell. Well, I, I told you before we went on, it's like, I'm really excited for this interview because yeah. I've, I have felt this hard before. I, I, I'm thinking back to even earlier, even like last year's or like midway through the summer last year, I had a friend lose her job and I remember talking to her about it and um, she was so frustrated that everyone in her life was just trying to be a cheerleader for her mm. when she needed someone to just be real and say, this sucks. Yeah. Like, can we just talk about how shitty this is? Right yeah. Yeah. Some random guy on the live chat right now saying sometimes the best thing you can say to somebody who's really struggling is just that sucks. And I'm sorry to hear that you're going through that. Aaron says toxic positivity is so damaging to struggling parents. Enjoy every moment, you know, or you should be grateful. Aaron says it's okay to struggle. And that narrative creates shame. Aaron, I mean, I... You know, my cousin Maria was saying the same thing on her Instagram the other day. Isn't it funny? I mean, we were saying the same thing on her Instagram. This is like the new platform for messaging. It used to just be people's photos of what they're having for lunch. But now I'm finding so much of my encouragement. So, so much of my I'm finding so much conversation on Instagram. My cousin Maria was saying the same thing about, you know, she said, I understand the magic or I understand the whimsy or I understand the, you know, the intent behind these. You know, people have like the new, um, you know, the, the inspirational phrases framed on their wall. And, uh, you know, like the fancy writing and sometimes they just say th nice things like, you know, believe or peace. And, and then sometimes it'll be more the phrases like, you know, I mean, I'm making this one off the fly, but the premise that like every day that passes, your child is one day older. Right. Or, you're, you know, today is, you know, this is the youngest your child's ever going to be. They're only ever going to be older. You've got to, you know, you've got to cherish the moments. These young, your child's never going to be, you know, the, the, the wonderment that your child experiences this soon. Well, these are the magic moments. These are the moments that matter most. And is going to kind of understand the the concept behind this she said but the mom guilt that i feel oftentimes with that type of messaging can be really overwhelming and i just thought she absolutely nailed it with that pat says you know i'm oftentimes afraid to explore some feelings out of fear of falling into a deep depression again that's a valid observation too patrick that's a valid feeling we're not going to solve anything today we don't endeavor to solve things we endeavor to talk about them and to create a platform where we can have these conversations and that doesn't happen without an audience like you this engaged audience of real talkers we're so grateful to have you on board let me remind you that our friends at athabasca university 
This is a time of year where they see a lot of interest when it comes to the admissions process, people registering, checking out their programs and courses. I want to remind you that AthabascaU.ca is your hub. That is your source to learn more about Canada's online university with its world-class accredited online programs. That's a big, relevant word accredited online programs and courses offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle it's perfect right now for anybody that's saying i know that the job market's changed i know there's a lot of opportunity out there right now but i'm not sure i'm the best i can be right now with regards to being equipped or ready or trained up or in the know for what those jobs are going to require Athabasca U, a great fit because you learn at your own pace and a schedule that fits your lifestyle. You can check them out online, as mentioned, athabascau.ca. You can even read more about that admissions process and how it all works. For a lot of people, you might be saying, I haven't been in school for like 20 years. No matter. No matter. They've got you covered. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park reminding you that this month's Real Talk Special of the Month, the deal of the month is buy one, get one free on the Dairy Queen treats, including the world-famous Dilly Bar and, of course, the DQ Ice Cream Sandwich. I find that the ice cream sandwich doesn't get as much love as it deserves. And I discovered over the weekend I had a Dairy Queen Ice Cream Sandwich because I, I went out and bought the box of Dilly Bars. I got the box of ice cream sandwiches for free. This was at the Dairy Queen on Baseline Road when I was out in Sherwood Park. And I forgot that I had the ice cream sandwich out for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just enough to soften it up. And uh, that was the sweet spot. Much like strawberries... You know, like a strawberry that's not yet ripe is nasty, and then a strawberry that's too soft is nasty, but when you get it in the sweet spot, I did it, Sam. I found that sweet spot with the DQ ice cream sandwich. It was maybe one of the highlights of my weekend. Thank you. I mean, I will I will crush stacks of ice cream sandwiches. I love them so much. And and DQ ice cream sandwiches, they're just a level above. You know what I mean? Like they are. Just, yeah. What would you say would be your... What, how many ice cream sandwiches would you say? You say you can crush stacks. Like, what, what sort of a number would you, in one sitting, let's say it was for charity, how many DQ ice cream sandwiches do you think you could crush? Oh, don't do that to me. Uh, in one sitting, if there's, okay, the charity's on the line, I don't know, I'll, I'll go for 10. I was, I I was I wondering if you were yeah. going to go double digits. Yeah. Sarah Hoyles, are That'll you comfortable tough. chiming in on this? Hoyles, if it was for charity, if it was for charity, how many DQ ice cream sandwiches do you think you could take down in one sitting? Well, I, I'm going to beat Sam, so 11. <laughs> Okay. Now, this is feeling to me like some sort of a special broadcast that we might need to do. And and I will just referee because I'm actually going to tap out. It's so unlike me to tap oh, out on something on, like this. Come on, Jasper. I just don't know if I could do 12. I mean, I could give it the old college try. Well, you know, you're never going to know unless you try. You're never going to know unless you try. <laughs> we should stamp that on a T-shirt. We're talking about the Dairy Queens and Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Our friends at Local Environmental Services want to remind you that we've got another edition of Trash Talk coming up this Friday. I really appreciated all of the child-friendly trash talk submissions from last week because I did trash talk from my dining room table on Friday. A little complicated. I can tell you, if you were sitting on your hand grenades and flamethrowers ready to really drop the big bombs, this week we'll be back at it in studio. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is when you can send us your trash talks. It's presented by Local Waste. They've been keeping it local with commercial, construction, and residential waste and recycling collection for more than a quarter century. You can get a quote online right now for service in Alberta and Saskatchewan at localwaste.ca. Or you can find them, of course, under the sponsors tab on our website at ryanjesperson.com. 
Now, before we get to our Monday tradition that is positive reflections, I wanted to remind you about a couple of things, uh, both of them on our website. That's where you'll find them. If you go to RyanJesperson.com on the homepage, it is Monday, and that means that we have launched our new, this week's, question of the week. We call it Get Real, our question of the week, and it's presented by our research and strategy partners at Y Station. You've probably been paying attention to this Djokovic story, uh, the Australian Open. It gets going today. Hoyles has details on that in just a second. You've also potentially, if you're a hockey fan, heard rumblings that the Edmonton Oilers and other teams are considering bringing in Evander Kane, the troubled but talented winger uh, that was just released or let go. Who knows what's going on up to the minute with the San Jose Sharks, his soon-to-be former team. In partnership with Y Station, we're asking you about athletes this week. They're a major force in our society and in our culture. Uh, We're fascinated by them on and off the field of play. And this week, we want to ask you a few questions about athletes who get into legal and so-called moral trouble and how you react to it. Uh, We're also asking you as part of our question to rank the most notorious athletes of all time. It takes a couple of minutes to do our question of the week, and you can find it online at RyanJesperson.com. Hoyles, what is the... I'm going to be honest. uh, Tennis, I've got a lot of respect for tennis. I'm lousy at tennis. I don't watch a ton of tennis. But I'm not trying to disrespect tennis. Uh, You could argue that tennis athletes are among the greatest athletes on planet Earth, uh, but arguably the greatest will not be competing when the Australian Open gets going. What's the up to the minute report on Djokovic? Can you bring us up to speed? He's back in Serbia. So he has been deported. Deported. It was the second time through when the Australian uh, government uh, courts really said, yeah, deported. He did not actually um, fulfill what was required to be in the country. So he's out and he's back home. And, you know, the Australian Open moves forward. He's number one right now, but, you know. So this is basically, so he had, he's unvaccinated, but he he had received a medical exemption for not being vaccinated that he thought or that his team thought would get him past customs in Australia, that's when the Australian government or essentially the decision makers said they 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 refused to recognize the validity of the medical exemption. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. Uh, Ultimately, the government had always said, no, vaccination is key. And then the tennis Australia basically said, "Uh, yeah, come on over. (laughs) Come on over. And so there was conflicting permissions. Really, it's down to the government who's allowed to be in and out of the country. Uh, So, you know, it's almost as if he shouldn't have been there in the first place. Wow. Okay. so, uh, you know, audience members, I'm just reading right now saying there should be no special rules for athletes. The medical exemption was a fake. Um, Others are saying he only Scott says he only has himself to blame uh, for not playing in the tournament. He knew the rules. He didn't want to follow him. See you later. Um, You know, and then people other comments on Evander Kane Two separate conversation. We could get into that. People may suggest. Sorry, Evander Kane. Is he? Is it abuse? Like it's. Is that what? Oh man, I mean Evander Evander Kane's story. I mean it's. Evander Kane is is involved in or has been involved in, first of all, a nasty divorce, um, which is obviously unfortunate. You don't wish that on anybody. And his his soon I I don't know. Forgive me. I don't know the status of the relationship, but his soon to be ex-wife has made allegations that he waved a gun at her. Um, He has insisted that that was part of I think it was like a commercial shoot or something. He said that the, 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 the truth of that story is being grossly misrepresented. She asserted that he was gambling on hockey and in particular 
gambling on his own team. Obviously, in sports, that's a big no, no. Pete Rose, uh, probably the ultimate example. Cincinnati Reds, great, you know, banned from the Hall of Fame for betting uh, on baseball. Uh, Evander Kane was subject to investigation by the National Hockey League with regards to that allegation. The NHL's uh, investigation exonerated him. Um, And there was uh, inconclusive results. Uh, Essentially, they said that there's no proof and uh, he was never sanctioned or suspended for that. He did, however, then provide fake documentation. He tried to provide fake documentation to his own team, the San Jose Sharks, that showed that he had been vaccinated when he had not. Um, Now there's a story that the NHL says it's going to investigate that he received a positive COVID result, then traveled to Canada across the border. And I don't know all the details there. He found himself in trouble back in the day for something. I don't know if it's problematic or just distasteful, but he was posting uh, an image to Floyd Money Mayweather when he was down, when Evander Kane was down in Las Vegas and he had bricks of cash holding him up to his head like a phone. And then he came out that he was in financial trouble and bankruptcy and blah, blah, blah. And Hoyles, I mean, I'm doing this laundry list off the top of my head about all the controversy that swirled around Evander Kane. The, the big assertion is that he's bad in the room, that his teammates do not like him. Um, it's been suggested, but I don't think proven that some star players with the San Jose Sharks went into the general manager's office and said, if this guy's coming back, we're not. Uh, so it's him or us. I don't know if that's true or if that's just the rumor mill. Um, but other teams uh, are taking a look at his on ice performance and saying um, if he's not been convicted in any of these things and if he's available to be brought onto the team and potentially you bring in someone that could score a goal every couple of games and really help out your power play and help you win games, then maybe all the other stuff, if you can keep it from being a distraction, might be a worthwhile trade-off. You can't ignore wow. how the fans feel about all this too, right? I mean, I've seen I've seen a lot of people and I, I don't want to misrepresent this but in particular my observations have been female fans of you know the Edmonton Oilers in particular the Oilers have been you know implicated in these rumors uh, that Evander Kane could be coming to the team they're not the only team though there are other teams that there have been rumors that Evander Kane could be going to them uh, after he's been cut loose by the San Jose Sharks but I've seen a lot of in particular female fans of the Oilers uh, but but men as well and saying like this is a tough message for my team to send Like, this is not exactly the type of guy I'd like to bring into the franchise. And some people have suggested that they'd have a hard time cheering for the team if Evander Kane was wearing that sweater. Other people just want their team to win a Stanley Cup. And so look, we got we got McDavid. And if McDavid is going to score not just a couple goals every couple of games, he's scoring every game. And we're still not winning. Like, is this guy who's obviously very trustworthy, very trustworthy stand up guy? Yeah, that's going to make the difference. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, you look at in, in the NFL too, and Antonio Brown a couple couple of Sundays ago, wasn't it when he like pulled off his gear and walked off the field and quit on the Tampa Bay box. And that's another example of an athlete that's obviously, I think, struggling with some things. That was his quarterback. That was Tom Brady's message after was like, listen, obviously, you know, he needs our support right now. And Athletes are humans, too. I remember Charles Barkley way back in the day when he was still starring for the Phoenix Suns. And and I remember at some point he had this really unfortunate scenario where he kind of like 
hawked a loogie and he like spit it was gross it was like he spit like a basically like a an ice cream cone sized i know i hate to put it but it was like you could see it in slow motion on the cameras into the crowd and it hit a young fan and charles barkley faced a lot of fire from basketball fans like how the hell does somebody like a role model do something like that and charles barkley i remember took the position at the time he was like i'm an athlete i'm not a role model i am not i should not be he said to parents parents you should be the role model i am not the role model I don't know, Sam, that it's that simple, though. I don't know that if you're an athlete or a celebrity that you can simply say I am absolving myself of role model status. Um, I think, you know, whether it comes to just winning or not winning, there's more to it than that with regards to whether or not sports fans want a certain athlete on their team. Don't you think? I think like in any profession, I'm going to take this outside of the realm of sports. I'm going to say you get to the highest level of any profession. People look up to you, period. That's just it. It's like, you know, if you're if you if you want to be the best It comes with the responsibility of people will have reverence for you. So you have to carry yourself that way. So like, quite frankly, I have no time for this. I really don't. Yeah. So we'll see. And obviously, Sarah is going to be keeping an eye on that with regards to what we'll be talking about on the show. But again, the reason that we've brought this up is this is the theme of our question of the week. And we'd really like to know where you're at on this. You can take that question of the week again at RyanJesperson.com. Just go to connect at the top of the page while you're there on our website. I also encourage you to check out the events page events you say Uh uh-huh we've got two big ones coming up this year one of them is our real talk pond hockey classic and outdoor extravaganza coming up on saturday january 29th we're still taking registrations for teams it's presented by molson canadian we're going to be going at larry alexiak field in saint albert and it is going to be a wonderful day the first annual real talk pond hockey classic in partnership with the canadian progress club in support of four amazing charities you can register your team today under the events link at ryanjesperson.com of course the other big event coming up circle your calendars thursday june 23rd the real talk golf classic in support of the real talk julie roar golf uh the julie roar scholarship rather and we're looking forward to that that's going to be a big day and we'll be taking registrations for that in the spring we'll be sure to give you a heads up of course uh each and every monday our friends at kubi energy get us started off on the right foot i want to remind you that the kubi energy is operating right now doing solar installations finding solar energy solutions to power your life across western canada they're headquartered out of edmonton they've got an office out of kamloops bc which means they have a number of teams of tesla certified installers either journeymen or apprentices so you know the job's getting done right Uh, commercial residential industrial agricultural applications you can get your free quote today online at kubienergy.ca and make sure you give them a follow on instagram they were posting a couple of photos over the weekend remarkable stuff you know there's these solar panels now they're set up on angles and they can charge from the top and the bottom what advancements all the time and kubi of course on top of them all at kubienergy.ca now kubi does more than just provide and find those solar energy solutions they also make sure that we start off our week uh, reminding ourselves that there is good in this world it's all around us it's a tradition we call positive reflections 
And Samuel Brooks, uh, why don't we get to this one? This is a collection of photos, and, and I'd like to put you on the spot if you don't mind, because you brought this to our attention, this story, and this absolutely broke my face with one of the biggest smiles I've had in a long time. Tell us, those that are watching this on YouTube, what we're about to see here with these polar bears. So what we're about to see is there is a uh, there's a remote weather station uh, on an island in between where Russia and Alaska is, and uh, it's been abandoned. And the polar bears took it over. And uh, Russian photographer Dmitry Koch went and explored the place and found uh, these cuddly, beautiful. Well, I don't know if it's kind of polar bears cuddly, but <laughs> they just took over the buildings. And there's another polar bear. It might be cuddly. And they're just absolutely adorable. So you can find it on uh, a photo blog called Petapixel. Is where I found it. And they just, uh, yeah, they're just hanging out, being bears running their own weather station. I absolutely love it. Um, you, you imagine like the experience as a photographer uh, to be able to do that. I mean, is there a more magnificent land mammal than the polar bear? I don't oh. think so. I always see these like mock-ups where they'll put like a polar bear next to a grizzly bear and you realize the size difference. It's just, like these things are marvels of nature. Absolutely unbelievable. Uh, I also wanted to show you this and we've sped this up. This is a, a sheep farmer over in Scotland and this video is absolutely remarkable. Check this out. Let me describe it for you. Wanted to send tribute to his mom. May she rest in peace. And so he laid out grain he laid out grain in his pasture so the sheep would flock to the grain. Of course, he laid out the grain in the shape of a heart, and then they had this aerial video recording from a drone. Absolutely remarkable stuff. I love this type of stuff. It just reminds us that beauty and magic, sentiment can be found all around us. That's where it exists, and I'm so grateful that a real talker by the name of Brenda passed that along to my attention. Thank you. It made my day, and I hope that it makes many other real talkers as well. We got an email from Two Beaver uh, over the weekend. Uh, the subject line, Wyatt the Journalist. He said, I just listened to the young man that you had on Friday. Uh, that's Wyatt Sharp, host of the Wyatt Sharp Show. He's 12 years old. If you missed the interview, make sure you check it out. What a remarkable talent he is. Not yet a teenager. Two Beavers says when he was talking about questioning Minister Carolyn Bennett on a new program being introduced, what an extraordinarily articulate young man. Two Beaver says, thanks for introducing me to him. I will definitely follow his work. This show, Real Talk, has really been something that makes my days better that from two beaver that is music to our ears thanks for checking out and commenting on our content if you know something on real talk will make someone else's day we encourage you to share it that's how we grow our audience it's how we grow our show coming up a little bit later on this week we're going to be taking follow-up looks at the stories we've been covering but also digging into the results of our most recent question of the week where we asked you to look into your crystal ball and tell us what you forecast 2022 to look like should be a great exercise in the meantime make it a great monday be good to each other and one love we'll see you soon real talk is hosted by ryan jesperson editorial producer sarah hoyles technical producer sam brooks managing director josh dunford account coordinator tanya franklin merchandise operations katie cook chivers website design mike johnston voiceover by me carrie skelton Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, 
Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.